this series has really been looking at our different feelings and emotions that we have and digging into the Psalms. There are so many Psalms that really just address a lot of things that even today we go through and, and that we wrestle with in terms of our, our feelings and our emotions. But more importantly, the application is how do we pray through these Psalms? How do we spend time with God and seek scripture and allow him to speak into those things that, that are kind of inside of us that we're, that, we're, that we're struggling with or that we're questioning or that we're wrestling with? Now, we've covered praying through your tears and we've, and we've covered praying through your fears. We've covered praying through your doubts. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked talk to us about praying through your anger. Hey, it's a five-week series. I'm doing the math right now. Because this week, we're talking about praying through your guilt. Great topic for me, Right? If everybody's going, man, you're going to touch the buttons that I don't want to be touched, and so I'm going to check out, and I'm going to say, that's okay, because I'm still going to, you know, push into your business, because this is important. There are too many of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus. We call ourselves disciples. We call ourselves Christians, and yet we live in this cloud that the, with an identity that shame and guilt are, are what we're all about. We, we live with this feeling of guilt for things that we've done things that we've said, maybe even things that have been done to us. And so we live with this guilt and shame and, and, and it's been holding us back. It's got its grips on us. And so we want to talk about how do we pray through our guilt? Having your heart broken under a sense of failure, or maybe general unworthiness that you feel. Now, if you were listening to Fabian, he talked us through Psalm 51. He read through that, and, and it's, a, it's, it's an incredible psalm by David. David's a great character for us to use today. You know why? Because oftentimes, if you grew up in church, you know, David's the flannel graph. You know, he's the little boy, and he's with uh, big Goliath, and he slays him and kills him. And, and, and yay, David. And he's a young boy, and, and God has him anointed as the king of Israel, but he has to go through some, some stuff in life. But then he becomes king over all of Israel. Yay, David. David was screwed up. You can relate to David, I guarantee you, because he was a flawed man. He was a broken man. And he understood sin and brokenness and the overwhelming power of guilt and shame in his life. Now, we've all experienced it. What is guilt? And if you can't maybe define what it is, we, we all know what it feels like to live and have that within us. The Bible reminds us in Psalm 38, 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Can you relate to that? Literally, as a young boy growing up, I, really, I can relate to that. I can relate to the feeling, that, that, the feeling of, uh, I hope nobody finds out what I've done or what I've said. I, I, hope, my, I hope I don't get caught. And literally, I remember I could, I could literally have uh, my hand in the cookie jar, my mouth full of cookies, and my parents asked me, you know, uh, who, who took the cookies? And me saying, not me. <laughs> and maybe even having to shrug the shoulders because I couldn't even get the words out without the crumbs, you know, escaping and giving me away. And one of the things that, that I know that, that my parents didn't always, like, immediately run in and, you know, it's like, you did it, I can tell, you know, and give you know one of the best disciplines you can give your kids is when you know and you know they know 
and you let them sit in it. And there's far too many times in life that it was like the guilt becomes overwhelming and it was like, I just got to tell you, I did it. I confess I did it. And they're like, yeah, we know. Why Why didn't you do something? Because you need to walk through the process. It was a learning thing growing up. And we all have to understand that, 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 that when we have this, this guilt and this feeling of, of guilt or shame, that it's, it's, it's literally, there's a purpose to it. And the purpose of this, if you're taking notes, is that guilt is actually a warning sign. It's a warning light that we have for us that says something's not right. Something needs to be checked internally for whatever is going on in your life. Now, now we can liken that to, to a dashboard in a car, right? You have warning lights. The tire pressure is low. For some reason, I keep getting that one on one tire, you know, and it, you know, it just tells me it's going low, and, and so I go and I fill it up. But there are, there are other lights that are a little bit more urgent. And so, I don't know, has anybody ever had a check engine light come on? Not a good thing. Anybody have a check engine light come on and you just wait for it to go away? Anybody put a, a picture or something over it so you don't have to see it and don't have to be reminded? It doesn't go away, does it? No, it's a warning light that if you don't take care of it, you're going to have potentially much bigger problems and bigger consequences and deal with something far more grander as you're standing on the side of the road in, in uh, the desert thinking, oh, I probably should have taken that car in. It's a warning light for us. It doesn't help to ignore it or to, or to hide it. But that's oftentimes what we do with our guilt. Oftentimes with our guilt, we try to ignore it. We try to stuff it. We try to hide from it. We try to, to, to pretend like it's just not there until it just goes away. And the truth is, if something's really wrong, the only way to deal with it is to deal with it. Because it's not going to go away. It's only going to get worse. Far too many times trying to ignore your feelings of guilt we have, we turn to, we turn to other things to try to numb that feeling. To try to, to, to run away from that. And so, so for some of us, it's food. For some of us, it's sex. For some of us, it, it, it's, it's throwing ourselves into our work. For, for others of us, it's, it's substance abuse, whether it's drugs or alcohol, to try to numb that feeling that we have. And yet, whenever, whenever that thing is done with, the high wears off, your stomach empties, that moment of, of lapsed judgment and that, that relationship thing that you had secretly going on ends, you realize that the feeling's still there. It still has to be dealt with. And so you can't run from it. And so that is literally what this entire series has been about, is the one way to fix it, the one way to release yourself from that guilt, from that shame, from those feelings that you're dealing with, is to go to God and lay it before him. And that's what David did. That's what David did in Psalm 51 that Fabian read at the top of the message. See, this this psalm deals with true confession of David after committing his sin with Bathsheba and and he had an adultery, adulterous affair and then he ordered the execution of her husband. Good guy, huh? 
And he wrestled with that. And, and scripture says that he didn't admit, immediately write Psalm 51. In fact, he continued to keep going on living and kept, if, if you read through the entire story, he kept it compounding his issues rather than dealing with the sin in his life. And scripture tells us that it wasn't a week, it wasn't a month, it wasn't a quarter, but nine months later, God sends the prophet Nathan. And Nathan has a very poignant parable that he wants to share with David. And he says, there's this, this farm owner and he has these lambs and this one man comes and he steals this lamb from this man. And David, you know, he's one of those fast to anger, immediately responds, that man should die. And Nathan calmly looked at him and said, David, you are that man. Talk about getting slapped upside the head with your sin. You are that man. Referring to Bathsheba and him stealing her from her husband, Uriah. Now, can I pause? Next week in Easter, Shane's actually going to start plugging um, our upcoming 2023 Israel trip. And, and I'm just telling you, it is life-changing to go on that trip. I've been on that trip four times, and, and I was on this last trip. And, and I'm going to tell you, part of this story came back in my study, my prep time, because something that I had never even heard. The more that you go and the more that you dig in the Bible, the dumber that you feel. Because the more you realize you don't know. And so I'm constantly, you know, capturing things on every one of these trips. And on this trip, as we're going through, through the Valley of Elah, we're talking about David and, and, and Goliath and that story. One of the things that hits me, um, because our, our guide was talking us through, and he said, he said, now, you know who Uriah was. And in my mind, it's like, yeah, it's Bathsheba's husband. He went to the war and then came back and, and did the honorable thing and went and sleep with his wife. And so... And he went on to explain that if you go into, into 2 Samuel and you go to the end of the book, David had, he tells there's multiple stories of David that had mighty men. There were 30 plus men that, that literally would fought, fight alongside David. They bled with them, they sweat with them, they, they, they lived with them, they ate, they would do anything for David. Uriah the Hittite was one of those 30 men. Now the sin isn't just a stranger that David slept with, but it was his close friend, his wife, that then he had killed. I mean, the depths of the sin that we're capable of in life is just fascinating to me, and it's scary. And it's scary how, how we can see one thing and one thing can lead to another thing, and there's just a slippery slope until it's like, Wow. We're so far off course. And that's where David found himself in writing Psalm 51. So what's the result when you don't do that? What's the result when you don't go to, to, to write a Psalm 51 to spend time with God in confession? Well, we begin living lives like this, that we begin to hide from ourselves, from others, and from God. Gosh, there are so many people just this morning that you have masks on. We just can't see them. 
because you're afraid that if somebody sees the real you, they won't like you. They won't be wanting to sit next to you. They couldn't believe that they would be associated with somebody who would think this, say this, do that. And so we hide out of guilt and shame. But this isn't new stuff. This happened on page three of the Bible. Page one was great. Page two was amazing. Page three, man screwed it up. And we're doing the same thing today in how we live. If you remember the story of creation and man uh, being created and, and, and they were blessed and they were given dominion over everything in front of them except for what? One thing, the tree of life. And they wanted what they couldn't have. And if you look at, at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, And at the moment after they ate, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame of their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, a, cu- a couple things in here. This, isn't, this is literally, um, this is naked and afraid. Okay, some of you guys are going to laugh later. Thank you for that. <laughs> they, go, they go, they're in a place, they're naked, and that awkward uncomfortableness, and all of a sudden when they realize and their eyes are open, they're afraid. Immediately they're afraid because they recognize something's different and, and there's guilt and shame and so they begin to take fig leaves and put them together. I had a, a gentleman tell me this week that, because uh, I'm not into agriculture and no, but I guess fig leaves, they're not the prime thing you want to cover yourself with. They're itchy and scratchy and they'll cause irritation, so putting them over your private parts, not a good idea. But they probably, because of their, gain, their shame and their guilt, it's like the first thing that was there. Let's sew them together. Let's put it and let's cover. And then at the breeze, and I'm just going to tell you the story. You can read it. Um, but the breeze of the day, God call, comes and he's looking for them. And he asks, well, where are you? Again, laugh at the Bible. You've got to put yourself in the context. There's two people on earth and God lost them? Isn't that funny? It's not, it's not that he doesn't know where they are. He's asking them to begin thinking, then where are you? And they say, well, we are afraid, and so we hid. They're hiding behind trees. Okay, put that into your rationale, because it's like, okay, you created me from dirt, and created from a rib, you created all of this, but you can't see through trees. How absurd is that? Yet that's the absurdity that we offer in our own lives as justification and, and reasoning for how we hide, and how we run and we dodge. And he says, well, where are you? And he said, well, we hid because we were naked. And he said, well, who told you that? Good, another question. Well, who told you that? What was the response? Adam, the typical response, the woman gave it to me. It's her fault. Right? Again, another, another thing. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, but it's the automatic thing that, 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 that we don't want to take accountability we don't want to deal with what we've done and the sin and, and the mistakes that we've made. And so we begin to hide. We hide from each other. We hide from ourselves and who we really are. And we hide from God. Not dealing with sin, we become masters at hiding. I'll, I'll rewind it all the way back. I told you about my childhood. How about, how about when I'm 18 years old and I'm, I'm courting my beautiful girlfriend, who's now my wife, so just so you know. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I spoiled her. 
I brought her flowers like once a week. I, I listened to every story that she had, no matter how long and detailed <laughs> and repetitive. I made sure I brushed my teeth every time I saw her. I made sure I had my deodorant and cologne on. I mean, I was at my best. We went to, I took her to nice places. We did fun things. And then she married me. I got her. And then a year later, it's like, well, Patty comes to me. She's like, well, who are you? What happened to the guy that I fell in love with? Because it's like, dude, now I can be me. I was put on an act. I was on my best. I was trying to, to project the best of me. I didn't want her to see the real me. I'm a scumbag. I'm lazy. I'm selfish. I didn't want her to see those things. <laughs> and it begins a pattern in our lives in which it becomes easier and easier to hide who we are instead of allowing God to see us for who we are. But the Bible gives us hope. And there is a solution so that we're not walking in sin and so that we can go to God and, not, and be relieved of this guilt and the shame in our lives. And so the solution is that we choose to walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Where did I come up with that? There's this great writer in the New Testament. His name is Paul. <clears throat> And Paul was writing to a church in Corinth, and they're called Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians, he's writing a letter and, and, and to them because Corinth and Ephesus, Ephesus and Ephesians, so these letters to these young churches, the, these are port cities that had all kinds of, of, of travelers that would come through, and it was like the Mecca. It was the, they, Corinth was the Las Vegas in its prime of their time. And so the sinfulness, the ugliness, the darkest of, of everything was consuming the city. Now you have this young church with these young Christians. And, 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 and Paul says in chapter 5, verse 7, that for we live by faith, not by sight. And so you have these young Christians and this young church and they're growing up and they're saying, well, we grew up that, you know, especially in Corinth, sexual... Um, Pleasure was, was abundant. It, it was worshipped. It was put on a pedestal. And, and they say, no, we're going to live differently. And so they're saying, well, that's different than how we were brought up. That's different than the culture that we know. And so they're in a, they're, they're in a society and in a community in which they're radically being challenged to live differently than everywhere around them. Is it, is it similar today? That we're called to, to live different. And so he says that you got to choose to live by faith and not by sight, not by what you see. But by the faith that you're putting in Jesus Christ and the salvation that you find through him. When you give your life to him and you surrender your life to him, then you live that through faith. Your life should look different. And so how do you do this? It starts with being true to who you are, what you've done, and know that there's a greater truth. You're walking around and you're living, many of us, in guilt and shame, and they've become our identity. 
our self-worth, our values, our insecurities are all wrapped up in how we see ourselves. And so many times we go through life and we're hiding because we see who we are. We don't like who we are. And so we begin to hide from who we are. And Paul says, now that you're a Christian, now that you're a, a Corinthian, you need to walk by faith. You have been reconciled to God. And so life should be different. It should be different. So what does that look like, to live by faith, to walk by faith and not by sight? Well, if I walk by sight, I blame others for where I am today. There's many of us that, that have taken on the stance, and it drives me crazy when, when people do that, that they want to play the victim role. And they want to blame other people. And they don't want to take personal responsibility. I make, just in case you're ever wondering about wanting counseling from me, don't come, because I suck at it, Okay. <laughs> Because I struggle with empathy and I struggle with, with being kind and just being a good listener. Because oftentimes what couples want to do, they want to come tell me all the junk going on in their life. And they really what they want is they want me to side with, with them to help convince as the pastor why their spouse is screwed up. And the reality is, is that nobody wants to own their own stuff. You have a broken person and a broken person. And you have people that, that both couples... Both of them have individual responsibilities of areas that they need to grow, that they need to change, that they need to surrender. And they both need to stop this. They both need to go here. And once they get this relationship right, and, it goes, and he goes in the center of your relationship, well, now we can talk. Now I'll be a good counselor. And so we need to own our own responsibility that, man, I screwed up. Now, I can blame you. I can have great reasons why. But the reality is, is that I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. I've made mistakes. And I just need to own them. When I live by faith, I own what I have done and I've confessed it. If you want to live differently, change from being the victim and, and playing the blame game and own your own stuff. I don't care how great you are, the reality is you're not that great. Even if on the outside you portray it, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I just know. Because man is fallen. Man is broken. And so you need to check your motives and check your heart and your reasoning and how you're responding. And so the excuses or the justifications, they just don't matter. Because we own our, own our part. Psalm 32, 4 says, For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And everyone say it together. You forgave the guilt of my sin. That is so freeing. Can I, can I take another step? It's not in your outline, but um, it popped into my head this morning. James chapter 5 is a great passage of scripture. And, and in James, he talks about, about this. When you, when you confess to God, he forgives you, right? Passage after passage in scripture. We go to God, we ask for forgiveness, we repent, we turn away. It says that he is just to forgive us. Wipes it away like it didn't exist, Right? James goes on and says, but if you want healing, 
confess to a brother. Sister, confess to a sister. And so it's a two-way transactional that I got to get this right, but then I get this right. Because when I get this right, then, I, then, I'm, more, then I'm more likely to actually make the change. Because now I have accountability. I had a, a guy that I was met with last week. Before we even got started meeting, he goes, man, I just need to, you know, I've got something that I just need to get off my chest and, and, and let's just pray about it. I need to confess some stuff. And when we left that, that meeting together, it's like, dude, that guy's got it. Because he knows now I can hold him accountable. I'm going to ask him about it. I'm going to text him about it. And so it's owning our own responsibility and taking responsibility and confessing it. To God. If I live by sight, I believe that I am what I've done. Gosh, there's so many people that need freedom from the shame and guilt that they're under because they now have accepted this as their identity, whatever this is in your life. And you've allowed this to label you, to define you. How do I know that I'm a failure? Because guess what, friends? I failed. Right? How do, how do I know that I'm guilty? Because I know what I've done. How, how do I know that I'm bad? Because reality, no secret here, I've done bad things. But when we begin to label ourselves, we begin to identify and put labels on that, it is so destructive and it is not God's plan. It's not what God, it's not how God sees you. So as you want to you say, well, well, I'm a druggie, or I'm a cheater, or I'm a failure, or I'm a loser, and we begin to identify that as who we are, God say, no, you're redeemed, you're loved, you're accepted, you're a child of God. We need to see ourselves how God sees us. And so by faith, I daily remind myself of how God sees me. Doesn't mean that I'm not a failure or a cheater or a liar. Because I am. Those are all true statements that I can say that I've done. But I'm also forgiven and I'm loved and I'm accepted. As I build my relationship with God and as through confession that I repent and I, and, I, and I change from my ways and it begins to mold me and shape me, I can begin to identify and see who he sees, who's precious. It's a great daily reminder that despite myself, look at how much God loves me. There's, there's a great, we, we printed them and given them to you, but you can Google who I am in Christ. It's a great list for those who are struggling with their identity or begin to identify themselves with these negative terms or maybe somebody has been calling you this for so long that you've accepted it and, and, and you need to see through scripture, look through the New Testament and they're listed out of how God sees you. You are loved, you are accepted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity that faith is actively reminding ourselves of our faith. 
So who are we? Galatians 3.26 says that in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Do you believe that? Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Have you surrendered your life? Because if you have, you are changed. And you need to walk in that. Now, 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 another practical example is that, is that gosh, I, I have four kids, and, and one of my boys, one of my three boys can come, and they could have done something that is just way out of bounds. Notice how I say my boys, not my daughter. She's perfect. But one of these boys, they could come, and they could really just screw, screw it up in life. Now, the reality is, and we've talked about this, that there's natural consequences, you break the law, you do something, there's natural consequences that I will support that there's a penalty to be paid for your actions. But no matter what they do, it's never going to change as a father how much I love them. Now put this in the context. We already established that I'm not a very smart man, that I'm a very worldly man, a very flawed man, and that's how I think of my kids. How does a perfect God, the King of kings, the Lord of the lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, who sent his son Jesus Christ to, to live, to die, to raise again because he wanted a relationship with me, how does he think about me? What could I ever do that could separate his love from me? The reality is that you know the answer. It's nothing. And so lastly, I can choose to live by sight. And if I do that, I, can, I continue to hide from myself, from others, and from God. That's the thing about being a human is that God gives us free choice. We get free will that we get to make the choice. We can walk out of here today and you can still be struggling with the same things you walked in here struggling with. You can still have those same labels that have been put on you or the labels that you put on yourself that you've been carrying around for decades. You can leave with those same labels. You can see yourself as a failure and begin to identify with the things that you feel guilty about or you feel shameful of and you can carry that all around. And you can continue to hide from those people in your row and those people in your family. You can continue to try to pretend like you're hiding from God. Again, remember, he can see through and knows everything. But we can pretend. Or you can live by faith. Here's your last feeling. And accept the greater truth and live in the light. The Bible says that we take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So to grab every truth about me and say that I'm not running, I'm not denying what I've done, what I've said. That is who I am, that is what I've done, but in spite of that, guess what? The cross has covered it. And by my profession of faith, I am his and nothing can separate me from that. Going back to the text as we conclude, David he was an adulterer, true. He was a murderer, true. He had periods of life in which he was consumed with greed and arrogance, true. 
He had one of the most jacked up families in all of history. True. I mean, literally, go back and read. He is, his family is messed up. He's got, he's got abusers and he's got a, a rapists in his family. He's got murderers in his family. I mean, it is, a, it is a messed up family. For all of you who think that your family is jacked up and you're not very, you're not very uh, proud of, of, of your, your lineage and your history and who you, whose family are, man, compare yourself to David. And yet the Bible also says that because of his heart and because of his contrite spirit and because after he sinned and he failed and miserably over and over again that he would then come. And he would have a Psalm 51 moment in which he was broken. And he'd say, man, God, I'm not worthy. But it's only because of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your love for me. So when was the last time that you spent time in prayer, spent time with Jesus in which you just got on your knees and got into his word and just said, man, I mean, I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of pretending. I know you've been flashing that warning light. It's been, it's been off on my dashboard internally for a long time. And it's time to get it fixed. So I need to spend some time with you. Again, David was a man after God's own heart. Why could, that, why could the scripture say that? After all that he did, because that's not how God saw him. What you've done, what you've said, who you've been, who you are right now, isn't necessarily how God sees you. What he sees is a child, a precious child. And he's just waiting for you to come back to have a contrite heart, to have an open heart, to confess, repent, to turn. Because the greater truth is that God loves you unconditionally. And he's provided a way to offer forgiveness and to offer, as John 10.10 says, not only life, but life abundantly. That's what he's called you to. John 3.21 says, but whoever lives by the truth, comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that they have done, for what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's time to live in the light as followers of Jesus and to rid ourselves of the guilt and the shame that we've been carrying, friends, for far too long. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you that your word does not return void, and I have no doubt that you've been poking many of our buttons today. God, give us the courage to allow you to do the work that you want in our lives, in our hearts, to make the changes. God, for some of us, I pray that we would leave this place seeing ourselves maybe for the first time how you see us, not what others have said about us, not how we've labeled ourselves. But God, that we can walk out, as your word said, completely free as we confess and we repent and we turn and we give our lives to you. Thank you for being the father that you are and loving us unconditionally. And everybody said, amen.